Tonight's reading is Galatians chapter 1, which can be found on page 184 of the New Testament section of the Church Bibles. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin, for I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the Church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me, but I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and stayed with him for fifteen days, but I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God... I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it and said, The one who formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Emily. Um, Just before Sarah comes to speak to us, I'd just like to pray for her. Heavenly Father, just thank you uh, for the reading we've heard from your word, and thank you for the time and preparation that Sarah has spent. I pray we'd have open ears and hearts to hear from you now. Amen. Amen. Lovely to see you all this evening. Just checking out the microphone before we start, that we're not getting all those squeaks that we, we sometimes get. One of the really lovely things about uh, being allocated the first talk of a new series is that you get to tell the story 
and set the background. And in this case, we're starting a set of talks on Galatians. Galatians is a book that was written by Paul, and there's been very little dispute uh, that he did write it. It was probably written about 50 AD. And it's the only one of Paul's letters, actually, which is uh, written to a group of churches. And these, um, these churches are set in what we now know as Eastern Turkey. Um, some of the, the names are a little bit different. Um, Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. But actually, I think if you can see that Cyprus is there at the bottom, it gives you uh, a, a clue, a way in to where we're talking about. And this was the, the part of the Roman um, province of Galatia. If you go into Acts, around Acts 13 or 14, you'll also be able to read about Paul um, establishing the churches here. So the reason that Paul wrote this letter was that he learned these, that these churches that he had established on his first missionary journey were being heavily influenced and undermined by a group commonly identified as the Judaizers, or also known as the false teachers. Although Paul doesn't actually use any of those words um, in the text. They were Jewish loyalists who were fiercely devoted to the ceremonies, the standards, the practices that Moses had instituted for the Jewish people a long time ago. But this group felt that Paul's message of the gospel was too far removed from its Jewish roots. And they also argued that Paul's teaching was too easy and didn't require enough of those who followed it. So to gain influence for their uh, particular way of, of, of looking at this, uh, for their approach, they took action to discredit Paul, essentially. So they questioned Paul's authority and their, his legitimacy, and they then began to question his motives, and most importantly, began to doubt his message. So overall, we've got confused congregations and ultimately a Paul who was frustrated, perhaps even angry. And you can probably see that in the tone and style of his letter. He wanted to be absolutely clear that there was no uncertainty. Not sure you'll be able to read any of that, actually. But it's, it's a message of our age, actually, how communication and uncertainty often go together. So... Given that context, tonight we're going to think about three different aspects of this. Firstly, um, Paul wanted to refute all doubts that he was a trustworthy messenger. That's one of the, the key points. Secondly, he wanted to refute all doubts about the authenticity of the gospel message that he had preached. And thirdly, um, he is really preaching that the gospel of grace is enough. And I want us to touch on whether we live that for ourselves and whether um, other people will know that the gospel of grace is enough. Sometimes it's important to be an expert and sometimes it isn't. You don't have to be a parent to know that a child running across a busy road without looking left and right is a dangerous thing. But on the other hand, 
if you really want to know how the climate is changing and the consequences, it would be best to ask a reputable climate scientist. Sometimes general knowledge is enough in a situation, and sometimes you need expertise. To become a follower of Jesus Christ in AD 50 was not, and still isn't, a decision to take lightly. So I think that this is a case of needing an expert. It was, and is again, a countercultural decision. It's radical, it's life-changing. And so relying on someone's general knowledge to make that decision isn't satisfactory. And that's why it's really important um, that Paul started to say, I am who you think I am. I, you can trust me. They had trusted Paul implicitly for his message, for his experience of Christ, for his teaching. And that trust was a building block to their conversion. And so an effective way for the false teachers to seek influence on people to come to a different point of view, as it is now, was to undermine the person who they had trusted for something, for expertise. And that was what was happening here. Once that there is doubt in the churches about Paul's authority, there is doubt about the gospel that he proclaimed. So that's why it might be helpful to have your Bibles open if you want to. It's page 184. Paul gets straight on in verse 1 and says, Paul, an apostle, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men or by men, but Jesus Christ and God the Father. So, for the people that Paul was writing to, the word apostle was well defined. It meant special messenger with a special status, someone enjoying an authority and a commission that came from a body higher than oneself. It's a very important word to begin this, gospel, this letter with. We know that this is the title that Jesus used for his special representatives, his delegates. In Luke and in March, at Mark, um, we see that when he was choosing from his wider group of disciples, he chose 12 and he named them apostles. They were personally called, chosen and commissioned by Jesus. So this, the New Testament is very clear that this is a small, uh, a small group um, and unique. The word, word apostle wasn't a general word which could be applied to every Christian like believer or saint or brother or sister. It was a special term. And Paul was claiming to be part of this unique group. His identity is so important when writing to these churches that he makes a much more forceful statement than he does elsewhere. He makes it clear that his apostleship is not human in any sense, but essentially has been a divine gift. And later on in the passage, there are one or two areas where you can, you can see that he shows that he was commissioned not um, by seeing Jesus face to face when Jesus was alive, but on his conversion, that God revealed Jesus Christ to him at that point. So in verse 15, it says... Um, uh, God called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. 
So this thing about his identity and who he was was crucial. There are one or two people, we see people in our own society, I think, who defend their own mandate of authority um, stridently, vigorously. You may be able to think of one or two. And they often claim that that gives them special rights and freedoms. So I think it is worth just reflecting on why Paul was so strongly asserting his mandate as an apostle. Was it because he had his authority challenged and he wanted to exert power? Was it because of his own vanity in wanting to be important and followed? No, it was because his credibility was of such crucial importance. If he, as the messenger, did not have credibility, it meant that the gospel of Christ that he preached was also going to be rejected. So by the end of chapter 1, he had laid out that he was an apostle who'd received his commission from Christ and the gospel from God. And he had a credibility to preach that was beyond the authority of those around him, either false teachers or those with him. So that's why I say the first point in this chapter is Paul saying, don't doubt the messenger. And the reason he defended his authority as an apostle so robustly was firstly to regain the trust on which his relationships were built and secondly in order to defend the message, the truth of the gospel. So as he asserts his own credibility, he is also focused on underlining the substance of the gospel. He knows that the false teachers have not only just been discrediting him, but adding to the gospel, changing it in crucial ways. So from verse 1 all the way through this chapter, Paul is reminding the congregations of the core and fundamental truths of the gospel. Verse 3, we see grace and peace to you, and so on. And that, we know, is a a, a common greeting. There's a, a, a greeting that Paul uses. But it's not just a set of words which are part of the etiquette of writing a letter in AD 50. Paul writes these words because he is establishing key characteristics of the faith. Grace is the foundation of our salvation, God's free gift of his love in Jesus to us, without any extra work or action in our lives. And peace, the result that we have with God, with others, with ourselves, that reconciliation that we have already sung about um, this evening. Fundamentally, it is this grace which is under question in these churches. And in verse 4, he goes on to remind them that it was Jesus who brought this about, Jesus who gave himself for our sins. Already in verse 1, he has stated that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. So before we've got through the first four verses, and don't worry, we're not going to go through every single verse of the chapter in this way. Um, he has established or is establishing his authority and the fundamentals of the faith and what they are based on. Usually, after that period of greeting uh, in Paul's letters, he goes on to um, praise 
and, and, and say thank you to the, the people. There are, he, he might do some more prayers. He might give more thanksgiving. Giving, he might uh, give encouragement to the church. But instead, in this letter, he goes straight on to what's causing him distress and concern. And he turns firstly to speak of the Galatians. Can you imagine receiving this, this letter? I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of God. It's quite a vigorous and clear communication to people. And in the NIV it says, um, quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. They're turning away from the gospel of grace. They have let go of the gospel that promises that nothing is due to our efforts, but everything in salvation is due to the grace of God. The converts who had received that gospel of grace are turning away to a gospel which included works and actions, which is why, for salvation, which is why he's saying really, no gospel at all. In Acts 15, it describes that um, these false teachers were saying that unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They didn't deny that you must believe in Jesus for salvation, but they stressed that there was additional work to be done to keep the law. In other words, you must let Moses finish the work that Christ has begun. Or perhaps you might, must add your work to the work of Jesus. The message was that Christ was not enough. And then Paul turns to those people who've brought confusion to the Galatians who were troubling the church and changing the gospel. And it's the changing of the gospel which can't be tolerated. And he goes on in that next passage to, to um, talk about people, if they change the gospel from one that is, already, that is already true, that that person should be condemned or cursed. And he even extends that to himself. So even having established um, his credibility and so on, he said, if I was to change the gospel and preach something different, then I too should receive condemnation the gospel and the purity of the gospel is the most important thing. And as he goes on in this chapter, he talks about um, how he received the gospel divinely, not, not by man, but by revelation from Jesus, not through teaching, not through listening as he um, received his teaching in Judaism. He points again to the origin of the gospel from God. So although he's been vociferous in his own authority as an apostle, he shows that it is absolutely the true gospel message which is the most important thing. So that's why he then is really saying, so even if you do doubt the messenger, don't doubt the gospel. The opening chapter then of Galatians is full of sound and fury, full of Paul's passion and commitment to the gospel. He doesn't shy away from saying it as it is in case those involved in the situation couldn't see the wood for the trees. And I think that's 
where we're here, where we are really, that for some, some reason, for whatever reason, the teaching in the church was a clear change from what Paul had taught, and it changed fundamentally the message of the gospel. Very importantly, the extra teaching got in the way of others seeing that Jesus, his death and resurrection was enough. Nothing needed to be added. The process of what they were doing was adding to something that didn't require adding to and was getting in the way. And the result was nobody could see the wood for the trees. So for us, I think the first question that Paul's assertion that grace is enough raises is, do we, do I trust that Jesus and the gospel of grace is enough for salvation? Or have I started to add to it? Yes, I need Jesus for salvation, but surely that is too easy. Surely more is needed for me to be sure. If we do not deep down believe that God's grace is enough to overcome the barrier that separates us from God, I expect that we will live differently, not fully free in that reassurance that Jesus is enough. But there is a second question too that I've been um, thinking about this week which is what do we do collectively and individually that might get in the way of people who do not have a Christian faith experiencing the gospel? We live in a different culture and with different ways of communicating than Paul did. But it may be that our words and actions sometimes obscure the fundamental gospel message in a different way to the way it was being obscured here, but with the same effect. The feedback that is widely reported is that judgment and hypocrisy are the two most common experiences of Christians by those without a Christian faith. Which is really sad. On on social media, it takes very little time to find Christians who are condemning people for their lifestyle choices, their preferences, even their political views. But it's not limited, obviously, to social media. And it made me consider, really, that perhaps one of the behaviours that gets in the way of the gospel of grace is our collective ability to be seen and heard as judgmental whether or not that's what we intend, sometimes that can be the way that we are experienced. And it's an uncomfortable thing to think about. Perhaps one of the obstacles to to us even thinking about it or considering a change is that actually um, we think that perhaps the people who've had bad experiences certainly haven't had them because of us or because of our church community. But hand on heart, I wonder surely whether we too can recall times when our words and actions might have been construed as judgmental. The importance of this is not who is to blame, but the importance is that we recognise that for all of us, and I mean humanity in that widest sense, our lived experience 
the experience that we have as we live our lives day to day is very influential. And the power of it goes beyond intellectual argument or belief. The interactions that we have with people, the um, experiences that we have and the emotions that are attached to them are very strong. And it is very difficult, extremely difficult, for most people to experience overwhelming love if they feel they have been overwhelmingly judged first. And what this makes me consider is that if those in our generations who've been on the receiving end of judgment are to see the gospel for what it is, the gospel of grace, it is a problem that we need to overcome individually and collectively, that sometimes that is people's experience. It may be that you, as you think about this week, feel that um, it is something else that, that gets in the way um, of your life simply showing the gospel, that it isn't judgment. But I do think it is worth us considering in our context now, what is it that gets in the way? What do others see when they look at us? Can they see the wood for the trees? Is the picture blurred, or can they see the gospel of grace? And that's the third point. Jesus is enough. The gospel is enough. The gospel is enough for us and for all. But people need to see that and experience it. So, in conclusion... Receiving a letter from Paul the Apostle was often a challenging experience, one that you needed to sit down for. But to sum up his message in this chapter, Paul is passionate to tell the Galatians, don't doubt the messenger, don't doubt the gospel. And why? Because the gospel of grace is enough. Enough for us, enough for those around us. And the challenge is to consider how we can find ways to live that make sure that the gospel of grace is seen for what it is, a free, undeserved gift of God through Jesus that brings light and life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us through every day and in every age. We thank you for Jesus Christ who lived, died and rose again for us in love. Lord, we pray that we will experience the freedom of knowing Jesus and his forgiveness in our lives and that light and love will shine through us that others will know the gospel of grace for themselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.